today's message, Righteous Violence. Our nation has become weak, and the men of our nation have become weak. And it's a deliberate plot to weaken men in general that evil might abound specifically, and evil is abounding in our land. Men have been weakened so they won't even speak truth with courage, much less act with courage against evil. While we sorrow the loss of those who were murdered this last week, we do not want to fall prey to those that would use that tragic loss of life to open the door for evil, that millions upon millions of lives would be lost. Those who are at the helm of our nation currently have a clear agenda. I refer to them as the Democratic Party insurrectionists and there are many Republican traitors who are aiding and abetting them in their war against our economy, their war against our Constitution, their war against the First Amendment, their war against the Second Amendment, their war against our nation. In fact, their war against God Himself. Godless, globalist, Communist tyrants are behind the scenes pulling the strings, and we see the effects. As of late, we have, uh, what, deliberately sent the price of gas through the roof. We've caused massive inflation by shutting down America's oil and coal production. And then we've paid Muslim terrorist funding Nations to produce and ship oil from the other side of the planet under the guise of concerns for global warming, because that makes sense. Have Muslim terrorist funding nations who care much less about global warming and any emissions coming from their production of oil produce the oil and ship it around the world because, you know, global warming. Do that. And then claim you're really concerned, really deeply concerned about the effects of rising gas prices and inflation on average Americans, while simultaneously opening our borders up for an economically unsustainable invasion of illegal aliens, while, again simultaneously, sending $54 billion that we are borrowing from China to Ukraine to protect Ukraine's borders, while again simultaneously, trying to get us into World War III with Russia. And, again, simultaneously, bowing down to China with favored trade relations, even as China rattles sabers against neighboring nations. And on top of that, of course, it's just pure coincidence that the Biden family was paid millions by Ukraine and China before Biden took office. Have you noticed in the press the rapid increase of propaganda painting God-loving, Constitution-loving, First Amendment-loving, Second Amendment-loving, flag-loving, two-gender-loving Americans as hateful, bigots, racists, 
and terrorists. White Christian nationalist is one of the terms they are using, along with MAGA or ultra MAGA. Unfortunately, I forgot my ultra MAGA hat this morning. Oh yes, I'm ultra MAGA. I believe in making America great again. The left termed this insult, this slander, ultra MAGA. And yet, I think we should embrace it with open arms. Because what made America great was the biblical foundation it was built on. What made America great was the grace of God, the law of God, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what made America great. And so I'm all sorts of ultra MAGA. Make America great again. Ideas have consequences, brothers and sisters. We have a generation of biblically illiterate, historically ignorant, capitalism demonizing, socialism worshiping men and women actively, dismantling the economic foundation of the Western world's prosperity and security contained in the eternal wisdom of Scripture. That's what you see going on. That's what you saw yesterday when you were going out to shop for the Memorial Day barbecue, picnic, sticker shock. That's what you see every time you go to the gas pump, courtesy of insurrectionist Joe Biden. What does the law of God say? It says, you shall not steal. You shall not Steal. Exodus 20, verse 15. What does the wisdom literature say? Proverbs 16, 26. The person who labors, labors for himself, for his hungry mouth drives him on. What does the New Testament say? 2 Thessalonians 3, 10. If anyone will not work, neither shall they eat. These biblical principles are the foundation upon which capitalism was built. Capitalism rewards hard work biblically, upholds the biblical concept of personal property and personal property rights, upholds the biblical mandate against theft and provides the essential incentive to motivate lazy, sinful men to work. And that motivation is quite basic, a hungry belly. Socialism punishes hard work abolishes personal property rights, steals from the worker to give to the lazy, and provides lazy recipients of other men's wealth the essential, sinful, and foolish motivation to support their socialist masters despite the relative poverty and enslavement their masters reduce them to. You know what's so tragic about the communist insurrectionist in the White House opening our borders up for this invasion of millions of people? from around the world. They're coming to America for capitalism. They're coming to America for capitalism and freedom. And they are the tool of the Communist Democratic Party that they mean to enslave us all with, including them. They're coming for what America was, and by the grace of God, can yet be again if we make America great again by going back to its founding principles, the biblical worldview, and yet it's a bait and switch. What they're going to get 
if the Democratic Party has their way, is enslavement, perpetual poverty. The revered founder of Communist China, Chairman Mao Zedong, compassionately cried, and don't forget that communism always comes with compassionate cries. Chairman Mao said this, increase the wages of hired hands. He was about the little people. He said that just a few years before he ruthlessly starved and murdered well in excess of 45 million Chinese hired hands. That's the glory of compassionate communism. Communism is evil. Proponents of communism are evil or fools or both. Hear that again. Proponents of communism are evil or fools or both. And we need to speak plainly. You have people in your life promoting socialism, promoting communism. You need to say that is foolish and evil and tell them why. The insurrectionist in the White House said some months ago, no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. This is a bold and dangerous lie spoken multiple times now by would-be tyrant seeking to disarm law-abiding citizens. Benjamin Franklin's historic words are getting more and more important for the future of our nation every day. This is Benjamin Franklin, quote, Security without liberty is called prison. Security without liberty is called prison. Whoever would overthrow the liberty of a nation must begin by subduing the freeness of speech. Oh, and they are laboring to truncate and burn the First Amendment, and with it, the Second Again, Benjamin Franklin, we must all hang together, or assuredly we shall all hang separately. They who can give up essential liberty to obtain a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. Do not give up your free speech. Do not give up your arms. Do not give up the Constitution. Do not give up the First Amendment, the Second, or any of the rest. And above all, do not give up your Bible. Do not give up the law of God. Do not give up the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not give up male and female and the appropriate pronouns that stem from them. Do not give up your freedom to assemble to worship God. Do not give up your parental rights to raise your children in the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Your children are not the property of the state. They're the property of God. And He has sanctioned you, duly authorized you, to raise them up as godly offspring. Defend that right. The most important words for America's future and that for every nation came from Jesus Christ. Luke 24, 47. Repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name to all nations. And dear brothers and sisters, the freedom of speech has been granted to us by God and His great providence to that end. Exodus 20 verse 16 says, you shall not lie. Joe Biden, his staff, the Democratic Party, and the liberal press are habitual liars. 
They're working hard every day to destroy America and advance every form of evil on the earth. Joe Biden is not inept. His handlers are not inept. His co-conspirators in Washington, D.C. in their various positions are not inept. They're carrying their plan to destroy America out perfectly. They're getting an A+. They're hitting home runs and grand slams daily. And most of the so-called conservative press just keeps saying, boy, they sure are inept. They sure are dropping the ball there. They haven't dropped a ball yet. It's touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. And our supposed conservative representatives that we have duly elected are just clearing the way for them. There's no blocking. There's no tackling. They're just clearing the way. With very few exceptions. Don't believe their boys can be girls. Men can be women. Male athletes can be female athletes. Woke, social justice, critical race theory, systemic racism, cops are hunting blacks, mass work, you're all going to die of the China virus, communism produces human flourishing lies. These are their most recent lies. Don't believe that George Floyd died as a martyr due to systemic racism. Don't believe he's a hero whose death should be celebrated. He's a criminal who put a gun to a pregnant woman's belly while other men robbed her. Their lies abound. And their lies are all meant to tear our nation apart. The communist insurrectionist puppet in the White House sounds and acts more like a historic fascist dictator every day. Terrible ideas, words, and actions have terrible consequences. It's an irrefutable fact of history that disarming law-abiding citizens is what tyrants do right before they murder millions of their citizens who won't submit to the rest of their terrible ideas. And they have to murder them, of course, for the good of all. It's a compassionate slaughter. It's a compassionate and necessary genocide for the good of all of you. They always come through the door sounding so compassionate. The Constitution is the law of our land. If the puppet in the White House and his communist Democratic Party pass edicts or laws that defy the Constitution, they are the criminals, not the citizens who uphold the Constitution, who uphold free speech, who uphold the right to keep and bear arms, who uphold the right to assemble, who uphold the right to male and female, who uphold the right to raise children to fear God. Joseph Stalin took guns away from his citizens in 1929, then he murdered 20 million of them. Pol Pot took guns away from his citizens in 1956, then he murdered 2 million of them. Chairman Mao took guns away from his citizens in 1935, then he murdered 20 million of them. Adolf Hitler took guns away from his citizens in 1938, then murdered 13 million of them. And of course, his actions resulted in the death of millions upon millions more around the globe, Jews and Americans and representatives from virtually every nation on the planet. Let me hit the pause button for a moment on Hitler because we're hearing a lot about Hitler lately because, of course, Donald Trump is a new Hitler. 
And you, if you believe in MAGA, make America great again, if you believe in borders, you are the new Hitler. You're a fascist, don't you know? If you're a white Christian nationalist, you're a fascist. Again, more on that in our Independence Day message. But let's just hit the pause button for a moment on Adolf Hitler and recognize that the Nazi party was the National Socialist German Workers' Party. Oh, you conservative White, Christian, nationalist, you're rewriting history. Hitler was not a socialist. The Nazi party was not socialist, really. In an interview on this topic, Hitler said this, we might have called ourselves the liberal party. Okay, you don't want to call him a socialist. Let's call him a liberal. In a nutshell, Nazi fascism versus communism, right? is socialism versus socialism. Like Sunni versus Shiite is Islam versus Islam. Nazi fascism and full-blown communism are both socialism. They're both left. Nazi fascism is not the right. And believing the Bible... And believing that our nation still has borders and that our constitution should not be burned but valued as the document that created the freest, most prosperous nation in the history of the world. A shining beacon in the darkness on this dark planet where everyone on the planet wants to come to America for freedom and prosperity. And that point alone does away with all the BLM lies. All the Antifa lies. Men, women, and children of every tribe, tongue, and nation, every hue, every shade, are fleeing to America. Because we're systemically racist? We're the land of no opportunity? We're the land where they will have to daily live in fear of being hunted by police? No, because we're the land of freedom. We're the land of certain inalienable rights, the right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness given by our Creator. We're the land built on a biblical worldview where capitalism, capitalism, the ability to work hard, keep your own wealth, and give it to whom you see fit, where capitalism has turned paupers into princes again and again and again. Some basic facts as you consider the lies being told in our media right now. The president, the lying insurrectionist in the White House, responded to the tragedy in Texas with these words after two minutes and 30 seconds of giving some comforting words, he quickly switched gears and said, quote, when in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby? Ten years since Sandy Hook Elementary, over 900 gun incidents on school grounds since. We have to act. Gun laws. We know they work. Assault weapons ban." What in God's name do you need an assault gun for except to kill someone? Deer aren't running through the forest 
with Kevlar vest on, for God's sake. It's just sick. We need the courage to stand up to the gun industry. These kind of mass shootings rarely happen in any place in the rest of the world. Where's our backbone to have the courage to stand up to lobbies? It's time to act. Joe Biden pivoted quickly and spent much more time calling for bans on what he termed to be assault rifles, specifically AR-15s. And the demonization of the AR-15 in particular has been relentless for many years, but certainly in these last months. The FBI reports that in 2016, 374 people were killed by rifles of all types. 1,604 people were killed with knives. So, 374 people killed with rifles of all types. The AR-15 would be just one of those types. 1,604 people killed with knives. 7,105 people killed with handguns. 40,200 people died in vehicle accidents in 2016. Following the logic of Joe Biden, we should immediately outlaw knives because far more people, I mean exponentially more people, were murdered with knives than AR-15s and even all rifles put together. We should confiscate all motor vehicles because 40,000 people died in motor vehicle accidents. And so clearly this is a national emergency. And you see, what happens when you take a camera to a tragic scene and then you misapply that tragedy with an agenda is you get everyone's heartstrings moved, but not according to truth or logic or reason or righteousness. Should we take away everyone's driver's license, ban motor vehicles, confiscate and crush them? No. No. Should we ban all knives? Pocket knives, kitchen knives? No, we shouldn't. What should we do? Well, we should hold evil men accountable for their evil deeds. We should put You shall not murder back on the wall in the elementary school and back in the town square and back alongside the highway. We should stop teaching children that they're glorified apes with no creator, no heaven to gain, no hell to fear. And we should make sure that good citizens are armed and dangerous. Therefore, evil citizens feel threatened by good citizens and think twice about doing evil deeds. Joe Biden and his communist insurrectionist friends who want to take all of our guns argue that if they can ban them, evil deeds will stop. Chicago has the strictest gun laws in the nation and the highest murder rate. How's that working out? In all the nations of the earth where guns are outlawed for common citizens, 
The guerrillas, the criminals, always have guns. They have whole armies, whole militias of evil men doing evil things, raping and pillaging at will, because they know that the unarmed population is no threat to them. Every evil man with a twisted mind who wants to commit great atrocities knows they can go to a school and no one will be armed. Here's another fact. Less than 3% of all homicides are committed with an AR-15. Less than 3%. But outlaw the AR-15. The AR-15 is the most widely owned rifle in America, and I'm glad. Over 10 million of them are in the hands of law-abiding citizens. Why should we take those from law-abiding citizens? I'll tell you why. The same reason that Stalin, the same reason that Pol Pot, the same reason that Adolf Hitler, the same reason that Chairman Mao wanted to take them from law-abiding citizens so they could rule over them with unchecked tyranny, which is the whole reason the Second Amendment is given. The president said, it's not like Bambi is running around in the woods with a Kevlar vest. Well, the deer, Bambi, whatever you want to call it, is not what the Second Amendment is about. The deer running through the woods has nothing to do with the Second Amendment. It's the tyrant running through Washington, D.C. That's what the Second Amendment is about. And that's why tyrants fear it. Tyrants hate it. Tyrants want to abolish it. Tyrants say things like, no amendment is absolute. I mean, I'm about to abolish that thing so I can do what I want. I can uncheck the evil that is in my Heart. That's why Joseph Stalin, Pol Pot, Adolf Hitler, and Chairman Mao disarmed their people. You should know that hammers and fists killed far more people than the AR-15 in any given year. You should know that in China, where, of course, under communist tyranny, they have no right to keep and bear arms. In China in 2014, 33 people were killed and 130 more were injured when a group of men coordinated a terror attack using knives at a train station. In 2015, 50 workers at a Chinese coal mine were killed in a coordinated knife attack. 50 more workers were injured. Does outlawing guns or knives for that matter, stop evil men from getting guns and knives and using them to carry out their evil deeds? The answer is no, and it's always been no. And again, why would you take cars from law-abiding citizens who don't drive drunk? Because drunk drivers kill people every day across America. Of course, we need to take cars from law-abiding Citizens who don't drive drunk. That makes perfect sense. That's the logic of tyrants who want to take away weapons that hold their evil in check. Why is the AR-15 in their sights? Because this is a weapon of war. I don't deny it. Call it assault rifle if you like. I like the term. It's to assault tyrants. It's to scare tyrants and keep them at bay. I don't need to call it a sporting rifle. 
I do enjoy shooting targets, yes. But this is a weapon of war. The tyrant gets that. That's why he hates it. That's why their sights are on it. And they always mention muskets. Because the Constitution, of course, was talking about muskets. Now, the Constitution was talking about the weapons of their day. And, of course, it translates to the weapons of our day. The weapons that would, what, in their day, protect them from tyranny. And the weapons that, what, in our day would protect us from tyranny. And make tyrants think twice about overriding all of our constitutional rights. Let's say we effectively outlawed and confiscated all guns and all knives. Well, tragically, in 2016 in Nice, France, 84 people, including 10 children, were murdered by a Muslim terrorist driving a truck. So not only do we have to outlaw and confiscate all guns and all knives, we've got to outlaw and confiscate all trucks. But of course, it wouldn't stop. There, evil men do evil deeds, which is why righteous men, good men, need the means to hold evil men in check. An evil man ought to have to think, if I break into that house, there's a good chance I could be shot by a righteous homeowner defending his family and his own precious life, or her family and her own precious life. An evil man ought to have to think twice about carjacking a woman because she may well feel like her life is threatened and take the righteous action of shooting me dead. Maybe I should work hard and buy a car instead of jacking one. You see, when good men are armed and good women too, it helps evil men to think twice about evil deeds. What does the Word of God say? Well, in accordance with 2 Timothy 4.2, my aim is to convince, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and teaching from the Word of God. Holiness demands violence. Let me just give you a few examples. Because God is holy, there was a global flood that violently wiped out mankind. Holiness demands violence. Because God is holy, He brought chastening upon Egypt with ten plagues that ravaged them. Because God is holy, He destroyed Pharaoh's army as they tried to cross the Red Sea. Because God is holy, fire consumed Korah and his rebellion out of heaven. Because God is holy, Israel crushed Jericho. Because God is holy, Samuel, God's prophet, hacked Agag to pieces. Because the NIV translators are not holy, they refused to translate that. And instead wrote, and Samuel put Agag to death. Because they couldn't let God in His holiness have His holy prophet hack Agag to pieces. Because God is holy, Saul slayed his thousands, advancing the kingdom of God, the theocracy of Israel, and David slayed his tens of thousands. Because God is holy, priests slaughtered millions of lambs in the tabernacle and the temple, all depicting Jesus who would come. And because God is holy, God the Father poured his wrath upon his Son 
eternity's hell in those six hours on that Friday 2,000 years ago on behalf of all those who will repent and confess Christ as Lord. And because God is holy, Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead when they lied to the Holy Spirit. And God purified his church. Because God is holy, worms ate Herod from the inside out when he blasphemed God. Because God is holy, violent judgment came upon Israel under the boot of Rome. Because God is holy, violent judgment will come upon all of the cosmos. It will all burn. There'll be a deluge not of water, but of fire. And all those who are not hidden from the wrath of God, the holy wrath of God, in Christ Jesus, by grace alone, through faith alone, will suffer the holy, violent wrath of God in hell forever. Well, there is holy violence. And it is good. Pastor Jesse Johnson said this regarding Christian pacifism. Christians are to bear the sword because we love our neighbors. There is a hierarchy of love. We love God. We love our wives, followed by our families. We love our church. We love our neighbors. We love our enemies. But if our enemy attacks our neighbor, it is our duty out of love for our neighbor to intervene and protect innocent life. I have heard some claim that you should not protect your neighbor out of love of your enemy. That view is ironically unloving. If an innocent person is in danger out of love, we seek to suppress that danger. Even, yes, with deadly force. And not only are we suppressing the danger in that immediate situation when we use deadly force righteously to protect the innocent, but we're protecting countless others. As other evil men hear about that and say, you know what, I don't want to be part of that. What should have happened to the murderous 18-year-old with his AR-15 in Texas. He should have been shot long before he got into the school. And it's my understanding that he could have been, but for some reason was not. Once he got into the school, what should have happened? The police who were on the scene should have immediately raided the school and shot him, risking, yes, their own lives, but putting an end to the active shooter situation violently bringing righteous violence against evil violence in an immediate and shocking way. Is there a chance children might have died while they're stopping the man from slaughtering children? Yes. Is it definite that children are going to die if you don't stop the man who clearly came there to slaughter children and was doing so without interruption? Yes. So the choice is clear. Righteous Men actively engage evil men and righteously take their lives when necessary to stop their evil deeds. And that stops that immediate act of evil and it stops countless others. As they find out, you know what, that's really not going to work out how I thought it was going to. It's not going to be a blaze of glory. It's just going to be said and done. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The error 
the so-called Christian pacifist makes is that they handle this command like so many left-leaning, God-hating, biblically illiterate rebels handle this command. Perhaps this worldly slogan will sound familiar. Love is love. What is that? It's the slogan of the LGBT movement used to justify same-sex perversion. Every young punk looking to steal away a girl's purity says, I love you. As a rule, child molesters will tell their victims that they love them. What am I saying? I'm saying that love must be defined by the rest of scriptures or a great deal of evil is carried out in the name of love. I'm saying that to invoke love is your justification for refusing to use deadly force while innocent people are tortured, raped, and murdered is in fact hate. It may be cowardly hate. It may be confused hate, but it's hate. And we need clarity. I want every one of you to have clarity. Engaging in righteous violence against evil men to stop their evil violence is the right thing to do 100% of the time and to do it quickly. A few years ago, John Piper came out as a pacifist and he defines for us the common so-called Christian pacifist position. One man explains and refutes Piper with these words. Piper is shockingly consistent with his New Testament-only position of defenselessness. And it is here that his argument gets most troubling. He argues that one retort to his position will boil down to, can I shoot my wife's assailant? What should be a no-brainer, biblically speaking, Piper calls an instinct and offers seven points on his way to answering no. No, you can't shoot your wife's assailant. I was shocked and appalled that Piper is so anti-gun and anti-defense that he expects Christians to stand by watching their wife or children being assaulted, raped, or murdered before their very eyes without reacting in defense. He doesn't like to accept that his answer is no, and he even says that there's no direct answer, but then again immediately makes it clear there is no direct dealing with the situation of using lethal force to save family or friend except in regards to police and military. That's, that's a quote from Piper. There is no direct dealing with the situation of using lethal force to save family and friend except in regards to the police and military. So you have no right to defend yourself or anyone else, including your family or friends. You just have to call the police. The police, they can use guns, but not the private citizen, the father, the mother, the husband. This is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Why would the God of the Old Testament give clear guidelines for self-defense in such cases, but suddenly in the New Testament retract them? And give that right only to a handful of government agents who can't get to the scene any more quickly than an average of 10 minutes. And when they get there, they might just stand outside. Now, I love police officers. I in particular love those who do their job, who show up and go to war against evil. I don't know what happened in Texas, but it seems like the ball was dropped terribly. People, let's be clear. Police, for what good they do, do not protect you from criminals, rapists, and murderers. Police, more often than not, show up late and write reports about what happened before they got there. Your wife's best hope at this moment is a gun in her husband's hand. That would be the most Christ-honoring item that could be on the scene. I am shocked and saddened as I Read Piper's defense of his position. When viewing his wife being raped, he would contemplate within himself, quote, this is Piper, Our primary aim in life is to show that Christ is more precious than life. 
So when presented with this threat to my wife or daughter or friend, my heart should incline towards doing good in a way that would accomplish this great aim. There are hundreds of variables in every crisis that might affect how that happens. This great aim is to line up your sight picture. Front sight, post, clear, rear sight, reticle, fuzzy, a slow, steady squeeze. And to do it repeatedly until that evil man is no longer a threat to your wife and children. If the man should live, you need more training. But then you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. There is a hierarchy of needs. If I come to my neighbor's house and it's burning down, I don't stand outside and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to magnify Jesus If I do so, I'm a madman and a hateful man. And everyone who saw it should understand it that way. What a madman. What a calloused and hateful man. No, I show up to my neighbor's house and it's on fire. And if I'm a man, if I'm a man of God, I run into the house to wake up, rescue, carry out men, women, and children. Because that's what men do. This is madness. This isn't Christianity. This isn't Christocentric. This isn't gospel forward. This isn't the primacy of the gospel. This is madness that John Piper and others are teaching out there. And it makes men cowards. It makes them pathetic. It makes them useless. I don't want that stain upon you as Christian men or the body of Christ as a whole. Whether it be John Piper or another professing Christian pacifist, the pacifist position boils down to something like this. The use of a weapon and deadly force in dealing with evil men is evil. Thus, I will only offer myself as an obstacle of reason and a human shield, perhaps giving some level of physical resistance in order to stop evil men from potentially or actually raping, torturing, and murdering my family and my neighbor's family because that's the godly, loving, and Christ-like thing to do. Furthermore, it's evil and murderous to premeditate the use of deadly force to stop evildoers. Furthermore, Christians should not serve in the armed forces or in the police forces. That would somehow be evil as well. And so they misapply the law of God, you shall not murder, and they make it to be you shall not kill, a universal prohibition of all taking of life. But Exodus 20.13 is rightly translated, you shall not murder. It's the unlawful taking of life. It's taking of innocent life. Many pacifists do violence to Matthew 5, 38. This is a pacifist favorite verse. And you need to know that Joe Biden and AOC and the rest of the hardcore leftists in Washington, they're all quoting scripture this week. They're all experts in the word of God. Matthew 5, 38 says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I'll tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you in the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Jesus, Matthew 5, 38 through 39. And the pastor says, see, 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 just love. No. R.C. Sproul said this. What's interesting in the expression that Jesus specifically mentions the right side of the face. If I hit you on your right cheek, the most normal way would be if I did it with the back of my right hand. 
To the best of our knowledge of the Hebrew language, that expression is a Jewish idiom that describes an insult similar to the way challenges to duels in the days of King Arthur were made by a backhand slap to the right cheek of your opponent. In other words, this is an insult Jesus is talking about. If there's an actual blow being spoken of, it's not a blow that would cause any permanent harm, certainly not a life-threatening blow. Yeah, turn the other cheek. That's what Jesus is talking about. Normal course of life, turn the other cheek. Not speaking about someone seeking to rape, murder, brutalize innocent people. And you stand by turning the other cheek and exhorting them, turn the other cheek, brother! Turn the other cheek, sister! What madness. What hateful madness is that? Albert Barnes Deceased commentator adds this, The general principle which he laid down was that we are not to resist evil, that is, as in the Greek, nor to set ourselves against an evil person who is injuring us. But even this general direction is not to be pressed too strictly. Christ did not intend to teach that we are to see our families murdered or be murdered ourselves, rather than to make resistance. The law of nature and all laws, human and divine, justifies self-defense when life is in danger. It cannot, surely, be the intention to teach that a father should sit by coolly and see his family butchered by savages and not be allowed to defend them. Neither natural nor revealed religion ever did or ever can inculcate this doctrine. Our Savior immediately explains what what he means by it. Had he intended to refer to a case where life is in danger, he would most surely have mentioned it. Such a case was far more worthy of a statement than those which he did mention. In other words, he immediately refers to a slap, not some grievous crime. Surely the Lord Jesus, my words, surely the Lord Jesus teaching in Matthew 5, 38 through 39 is not a contradiction of the law of God. What we find in the law of God gives no quarter to home intruders or pacifism. Remember, Exodus 20, 13 said, you shall not murder. Exodus 22 comments on that, further elucidates that. Exodus 22, verse 2 says, if a thief is found breaking in he is, and he is struck so that he dies, there should be no guilt for his blood shed. Did it say a rapist? Did it say a terrorist? Did it say a known murderer? No, it said a thief. If a thief is found breaking in. In other words, you have the right to the sanctity of your home. And you are to keep your home a safe place. And if someone comes into your home to commit evil, they have forfeited their life at the door. Thus saith the Lord. That is the right interpretation of you shall not murder. Righteous violence against evil men Even short of violence, you don't know that he's there to commit violence, but you are not required by God to say, wait, is that a gun I see? Or is that just my remote control you're stealing? Wait, wait, um, is is that a gun and do you intend to use it? Is the safety on? Have you taken a gun safety course? Your finger's not on the trigger, is it? You're not asking questions of the man who breaks into your home. You're, you're defending your family from an evil man who has broken into your home. You have the right, when the sanctity of your home has been invaded by an intruder at night, to protect your family. And who's accountable for the bloodshed? The evil man 
who broke into the home. It's on them. If he is struck so that he dies, there should be no guilt for his bloodshed. Clearly, the idea is that if a man breaks into your home at night, you must reasonably and responsibly assume he is there for the worst reasons and act accordingly in the defense of your family with the use of deadly force if necessary. God's just, holy, and good law says there's no guilt for his bloodshed. And we say, amen. God's word is true. The Lord Jesus in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 22, verses 35 through 38, said this, When I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. Then he said to them, But now he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. If you don't have a sword, sell your garment and buy one. Uh, Now, it's commonly understood that the disciples would be traveling and they'd be traveling in a lawless land where thieves and murderers abound and that a sword would hold evil men at bay. And if necessary, they would utilize that sword in a righteous manner. Now, when Peter pulled said sword in the garden and lopped off the ear of the high priest's servant, what did Jesus say? What are you doing with that sword? Don't you know we are pacifists? Get rid of that thing. No, he said, put that away. And yes, those who live by the sword shall die by the sword. Those who wrongly use deadly force will reap a whirlwind. But he did not tell him to get rid of it. In fact, he protected him even because he told the soldiers there to let his disciples go their way. And even after lopping the ear off the high priest's servant, Peter walked away with his sword still on his hip. And so the Lord Jesus is no pacifist. He said, bring your sword. The Lord Jesus is no pacifist in the garden. It's simply a misapplication. And you think, no, no, the Lord Jesus meant that that sword is just for, you know, lopping off vegetables and maybe a wild dog or two if necessary, you know, keeping them at bay in the night on your journey. Oh, really? When the Lord Jesus returns, he will slay his enemies with the sword of his mouth and the blood will flow to the horse's bridles. The Lord Jesus is no pacifist. God the Father is no pacifist. The Holy Spirit, whom Ananias and Sapphira blasphemed before they dropped dead, is no pacifist. Righteous violence holds evil violence in check. Norman Geisler says this, it is evil not to resist evil. It is morally wrong not to defend the innocent. 
Sometimes only physical force and taking lives are sufficient to accomplish this. All too often in our violent world, hostages are taken and all efforts of negotiation fail. Sometimes military action is the only way to save these innocent lives. To permit a murder when one could have prevented it is morally wrong. To allow a rape when one could have hindered it is an evil. To watch an act of cruelty toward children without trying to intervene is morally inexcusable. In brief, not resisting evil is a sin of omission. And sins of omission can be just as evil as sins of commission. In biblical language, anyone then who knows the good he should ought to do and doesn't do it sins, James 4.17. Any man who does not protect his wife and children against a violent intruder fails them morally. Likewise, any country that can defend its citizens against evil aggressors and does not do it is morally remiss. Norman Geisler got it right. The authors of the Westminster Catechism got it right. They rightly interpreted the Sixth Commandment, you shall not murder, not only to say you shouldn't murder the innocent, but you should use deadly force to stop the murderer from murdering the innocent. In Romans 13, verses 4 and 5, it says, He is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. And so evil men should fear righteous men with weapons. And we typically apply that to only the government. But in God's providence and God's wisdom, and I would say biblically, the government starts in the home. It starts with the husband. It starts with the wife and the mother the father. The right of self-defense extends to all human beings. And in our nation in particular, God has given us a constitution that gives us the right to keep and bear arms to stop evildoers from doing evil deeds. And we should be very thankful for that. And we should be deeply disturbed by any man who stands claiming to be the President of the United States and says of the Second Amendment that no amendment is absolute. As we consider the events of this week, don't allow your emotions to be played upon. As we consider the events of these last several years, don't miss what's going on. This is an assault on our nation. It's an assault on our Constitution. It's an assault on the freedom of speech, the right to keep and bear arms. It's an assault on the word of God and God himself. And all biblical Christians are being made to be terrorists and criminals by this insurrection and their helpers in the leftist press. That's what they're calling us. If you don't know it, if you think I'm overstating the case... You're not listening. You need to tune in, not just to conservative press, but listen to the liberal press. See what they have to say. Read what they're writing. Do a Google search of white Christian nationalist and see what articles pop up. Do a Google search of Hitler, Nazi, and see what pops up. And you'll find they're talking about you and your fellow conservatives and your fellow Christians. 
So now is the time to speak. Now is the time to stand. Now is the time to exercise your civil rights and to hold fast to them and to speak out against so-called Americans who are caught up in this insurrection to try to win them back while there's time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Memorial Day and those, Lord, who suffered and died that we might be free and that evil men wouldn't. We pray, Father, for strength and courage in our day. We pray, Father, that you would raise up righteous men, men who, Lord, born again or not, hold to a biblical worldview, hold to our Constitution, uphold our civil rights and the Bill of Rights, and will stand with courage and fight a good fight. We thank you, Lord, for our soldiers, our airmen, our Marines. We thank you, Lord, for those that are on the battlefield even now. May you watch over them and may they, in the duress of combat and the hardships that come from it, turn to Jesus Christ and find life and life abundant. And Lord, may we fight foremost with prayer and the ministry of your law and your gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.